This is an Area Code podcast. You're listening to The Table of Malcontents, where Aaron Armstrong, Dave Schrader, and Barnabas Piper talk about the books they love and a few they really don't to help you be a better reader. Books and podcasts are always best with a great cup of coffee. That's why we've partnered with Ligaris Roasters to create the Table of Malcontents blend. And guys, it's delicious. A smooth Brazilian roast that will make your heart happy. Head over to LagarisRoasters.com to order a bag or 12 today. Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode of Table of Malcontents. I'm Aaron and with me, as almost always, is Barnabas and... We have a returning special guest, um, Jennifer Brogdon. Jen, how are you doing? Good. What's up? Oh, you know, um, you know, it's been minutes since we recorded our last episode. <laughs> right. The the return re- involved turning recording off and re- turning recording Absolutely. back on. Absolutely, that's yeah. the <laughs> magic of of this medium, right? Like you you get to have as much time as you want pass between episodes when it's just moments from recording. Um, so we uh, last time we talked, we were talking about. Um, did I say to, did I say about two Canadian that time? I wasn't paying attention. Oh, no, that's good. I don't think so. Okay, that's good. <laughs> See, we're we've got some progress here. You make fun Look of at me. I'm listening. Saying against. Listening. The nice thing about having three people on a podcast is that I don't feel obliged to pay attention the whole time. <laughs> well, but how does that change how you behave any other time? Uh, <laughs> fair. <laughs> specifically with you hey now just, just sort of tune out that's fair that's fine it's... so um we are so last time we were talking about um a really great book that we that we all enjoyed that was your first time going through through this book mm-hmm. that you read in a day yep. um being bear town by frederick bachman um after much debate, we're going with Bachman today. Until I screw up. Until you or I mess it up. Yep. That's right. So one thing that uh, we didn't get to in, in that discussion last week was really one of the reasons why I was hoping we could talk about it, which is how men and women respond differently to um, the subject matter of of different books so that book in particular is one that has a lot of very dark stuff in it very very heavy you know and it's impot like it's the central point of the entire or the turning point of the plot of the of this book is um well is the star of the hockey of the the high school hockey team um assaulting the the daughter of his coach and Everyone's going to have a reaction to something like that. And we're just jumping right into heavy stuff right in the first minute of the show. Mm-hmm. No rambling. This is unusual <laughs> for us. We'll save all of our rambling for later. Um, or for last episode, yeah. Or for last episode. That's fine. That's fine. We'll get to, <laughs> we'll get to some fun stuff later. But, um, but let's, let's talk about that a little bit. That how for you as a – for you as a as, – um, as a woman, as a re- and as a reader, how do you respond to content like that? It's hard for me to read. I guess as a woman, you always think that that's a possibility for you, right? 
because as a woman, you're you're never hardly unless you do CrossFit or something, you're not going to be as strong as a man. And so the likelihood that you are stuck in a situation like that is is more probable than if you're a man. Right. So it's hard to read that because you, you think of any instance where that could happen to you. So, yeah, more sympathy maybe than mm-hmm. if y'all would have read it. Um, what do y'all think? Yeah, it's that's a, that's a really – it's an eye-opening perspective just because mm. as a guy, you don't go through life feeling the potential of threat the same way. Yeah. Right. And so – Well, you usually, like, man up everyone you see. Like, can I take him? And Yeah. I mean, there's there's that. Or just, like, mm-hmm. you're just sort of, like, shrugging, like, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. You know, if, uh-huh. if, I go for, if I go for a run at 9 o'clock at night and it's dark out, I'm not scared of people. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I have to be conscientious not to scare other people. <laughs> like if I if I'm passing a woman, like I I should probably cross the street or whatever, so she doesn't feel like she looks so, so scary. Well, just because I'm a grown man yeah. and it's dark out, <laughs> yeah. And that's you know that mm-hmm. <laughs> there's steps one and two of a problem happening in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. And so so to read a book like this, like my negative reaction is more like disgust and outrage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of like justice must be served. This is horrendous. I have daughters, so there's there's mm-hmm. the kind of outrage on behalf of yep. thinking from the the perspective of a dad, but not the sort of uh, fear paralysis like what. The, the feeling threatened. Like, I don't feel threatened by it. I yeah. feel mm-hmm. a lot of other negative things, but not that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm very much in that in that same kind of boat. That, I mean, when I when I read that portion of this of of the book, um, I immediately thought of it from the perspective of being a dad, mm-hmm. and that, um, and it was also instantly. What would I do if I got my hands on this on this punk kid? <laughs> yeah, because um, I tend to not be a violent person, but uh, uh, there was all kinds of violence. Non-violent uh, people are terrifying when they get angry because it's just like <laughs> serenity becomes up. a storm, something <laughs> something fierce. Yeah, it's unpredictable. Mm. Now I did experience it as a mom too because I do mm-hmm. have a daughter. Yeah, and I felt myself the same way as. Is it Kyra in the story who's constantly talking about protecting her children and how she can't protect them? Yeah. So I felt the same way, like, never let my daughter go to someone's house. (laughs) There's a little bit of that. There's a little bit. Um, Yeah, there's just – I mean, the realization – so my kids are – Aaron, you and I have kids about the same age. Yeah. Our kids are a little bit older than yours, Jen, where they're they're nearing the age where you just realize, oh, they can do whatever they want. I mean, I remember being, it was probably about 15 or 16, and I remember looking my parents in the face and having the mental realization of they cannot make me do anything. Mm-hmm. They can't ground me from anything. The only way they can discipline me is if I let them. And by and large, I did because I recognized that it's good to obey your parents, but not always. And, and so, like, if my daughters just looked at me and were like, I don't have to listen to you. I can do whatever. There is no protecting your your kids if they decide to go that route or if they're just a little bit foolish as kids are and they make a yeah. decision that they think is fun and it's actually dangerous or something like that. There's there's really nothing you can do to protect your kids from those situations and and most protective steps that parents take these days are kind of psychotic anyway. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. I mean, yeah. Although it's tempting to it, 
Although it is tempting sometimes to get a little bit psychotic in, in being overprotective. Yeah, but you damage your kids by doing that oh, too. Absolutely. Like if like if you want if you want a resilient, strong human being who can navigate the world and deal with conflict and deal with fear and whatever mm-hmm. else, like you have to put them in positions where they deal with like low grade fear and low grade conflict. I mean just in life. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. don't you don't give them those things. But <laughs> you can't protect them from those things. No. Which no. then risks, you know, a situation like the book where something that should be low grade you know if there's conflict between two different groups of girls you know over over a boy or over popularity over whatever you know then all of a sudden there's this there's this horrendous threat hurtful situation and there's no predicting it i don't think there's any stopping it no which i I don't know i don't it's a it's not a very, not a very comforting reality. Just to be like, you can't, you can't keep that from happening to your kids. No, well, I mean, it's it's just like anything, right? Like, there's like all of us. I think all of us have tried to, if not sh- shield our our kids from certain from certain subject matters, um, things like this. We at least try to do what we can to um, control when those things, when they're exposed to certain things. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, now some of those things are completely out of our control too, but um, like there's language that we try to limit exposure to um, until certain maturity levels, with the exception of Barnabas, I have um, a different philosophy on that than I, some parents. I understand, and I respect you, and my, I respect that. My philosophy on language—I mean, yeah, limit, yes, yes. You know, you're not gonna be like, here, watch, you know, watch the Big Lebowski, yeah, um, <laughs> or whatever. But by and large, I'm like, they're gonna, they're gonna, well, they, that's the thing. Thirteen and ten, they know every, they know every bad word I know, and so I just. And probably you, a few I describe, you don't. I just probably I describe uh, I describe language and alcohol the same way. Like there is a time in life when you are old enough and you are mature enough to handle this thing wisely, judiciously, know when and how. And until that point, you don't get to. Yeah. And they seem to kind of respond to it because they're like, oh, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. I'm not being unreasonable. There's not like this artificial line of like that's a bad word, and they're like, but you use it. Right. I don't call them bad words. I'm like, yeah. well, that's a grown-up word. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and that's to be actually used when somebody cuts you off on the freeway, for example, <laughs> <laughs> or just in general when you're driving in Nashville, it's fine. Which is being cut off perpetually. Yeah, yeah that's it's, right. And it, you know, I don't know that I don't know that that's the best philosophy, but at the same time, it's it's a way to avoid being a hypocrite. Well, so <laughs> sure, I've got that going for me. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there, but I mean, there is a it is a good point because I mean, if you keep saying that that certain language is bad you're you're giving um moral character to something that is amoral not immoral but amoral yeah. because words are just words yeah, that's to, a, that's, to some degree that's, to that's, some degree that's, that's debatable amongst many people mm, because words carry the meaning talks about they that. do yeah they do i'm not saying that words don't carry meaning but i mean they're but a lot of the time meaning is conveyed in context that's as true. well. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I just know that there are listeners who would immediately like they, if you were to give them a list of profanity, they would be like, that one is worse than this one. It has a different, more grotesque meaning. This sure. one is whatever. But again, that also has to do with context yeah. because the words that are um, incredibly vulgar here 
are not in other contexts. So um, think about uh, think about England. Um, there there are certain words that we just do not use here that are just they're nothing. Well, yeah, and certain there. phrases that they use that mean nothing here, like they they literally have no yeah. profane meaning, but there would be offensive. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I and remember I remember hearing a story. I think it was from Matt Chandler, and he was talking about putting his foot for, like just stepping in it in I think Australia, mm-hmm. where he was commenting on the number of tourists or people who wore fanny packs. Yes, and he just kept talking and talking about it because he just thought it was the funniest thing, and the audience was you know just squirming in discomfort, and finally just somebody yells out, "Stop saying that word!" Fanny had, packs. Yes, the word "fanny" is a oh. really, really crude word. Yeah, in Australia, whereas yeah. here it's like it's like a a cutesy word for someone's butt, and also like a fanny pack is just like a. It, it's just a like a dorky piece of apparel that's now making a comeback. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, he had no idea. And so he just was being profoundly offensive mm-hmm. to yes. I don't know how many hundred people. Right. So But yeah, just like, out of pure ignorance, not yeah. out of and that's and that's the thing. So Yeah. How do we get on that? I don't even remember. It's okay. That's all right. I this mean, is what, what we, do. we do on this show. Yeah. What were you said you said the somewhere in the book said something about uh think the use of words and words carrying meaning. Yeah, it just says It starts a chapter. It says, words are small things. No one means any harm by them. They keep saying that. And then at the end of the page, it says, words are not small things. Mm. So I liked that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But Yeah, there's words almost never exist in a, other than like a vocabulary test that kids take in school, they almost never exist in a meaning vacuum. Yes. Which is, yeah, that's an intriguing reality and (laughs) a tricky one to navigate. Yeah. Absolutely. What what about okay? What about the flip side? So that was you know you have like the negative this yes. this really heinous part of the book. But what about the the more subtle like the positive sides of it? Family relationship, the relationship between um, Peter and his wife. What's his wife's name? Is it Kyra? Kyra. Uh, yeah. And Kyra or Kira. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It's, it's like K Y R A, right? Yeah. I R A. K I R A. I think it's Kira. Okay, we'll go with really? that. I think so. Okay. <laughs> Wait a minute. We're gonna take the we're gonna take the Canadians uh judgment on pronunciation. Okay. I'm against that. Um <laughs> But so so things like that where that's like that's a very complex relationship in this where it's there's this there's an aspect to it that's so kind of loyal, beautiful, unified, but then it's very strained at various yeah. points. And um I never quite, I mean, those are things that I never quite know how to respond to those, like in in terms of reflecting on them, feeling deeply about them, whatever. What, what was, as you read that, how does, how did, how do you navigate those sort of emotionally tumultuous aspects of like, that are both really good and really challenging? Mainly I'm trying to figure out how women read a book that I read and love, but mm-hmm. I'm not reading through your eyes. Not that you are every woman, but you know, mm-hmm. I don't I don't understand totally how that something like that would strike you good, bad, beautiful, ugly, etc. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like he did a good job of balancing the two things of weaving all the relationships through the trauma. One thing that stood out to me about the relationships was the theme of 
friendships, like childhood friendships. Mm-hmm. There was like even Peter, like I didn't even think of him and his wife's relationship that much. I thought of him and his childhood friends that kept coming back, that he hadn't talked to him forever, but they're being united by this hockey mm-hmm. game that's so prevalent in their community. And then just Anna and Maya, their friendship, she kept going back to remembering how they were as children and the innocence of their friendship. And then the same with Benji and Kevin, like they kept going back to their friendship as children, basically because after this event, I think there's one part that talks about Benji and Kevin and says this was their their last night of childhood. So it's like this event Hmm. took away that innocence. Mm -hmm. Um, So it just, it was beautiful. Yeah, and it produced a lot of nostalgia in me of, you know, remembering my childhood relationships and, and what happened, certain events that brought me out of that innocence of childhood into mm-hmm. the real world, you know. So mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. It was a good balance mm-hmm. of the trauma, but. Yeah, it, he, mm-hmm. I thought, I thought. Bachman did a just a remarkable job of not almost every story tends to weigh too heavily on one side you know mm-hmm. too dark or too light like mm-hmm. it's a little too sort of chipper happy ending hopeful or it's just like it sort of wallows in the negative and the gloom yeah. mm-hmm. and and so you're left with sort of like a like this bitter taste or the saccharine taste and he yeah he really did a remarkable job of leaving you with both Right. In a very realistic way, I thought, mm-hmm. where you right. come away and you're like, this, yeah, this, this reflects real life better than most stories in terms yeah. of the, like you said, all of those kind of the, the innocence, the, the beauty, the goodness of these relationships in childhood and even some of them and, you know, kind of finding that again in, in adulthood or, or adolescence, but then also the loss of things and the, the terrible decisions that break things. And the strain that happens as you get older and grow apart and things like that. And and it, he does not ever sort of button it up like in this mm-hmm. like, and everything is fixed. Right. Yeah. Which I is one of my least favorite things about books. Well, books that do that just leave me kind of going, oh, what was the point of all that? Mm-hmm. For like, sure. You did a lot of work to give a crappy ending. And <laughs> this one doesn't. Mm. That's true. That's true. Well, I mean, I mean, some of it helps is, is that, I mean, it's not the end of that story, right? I mean, um, it has like, it has two more books in that continue it on. There's two more books. There's us against you against against you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And then there's another one that is coming out, I think. Uh, oh, it hasn't come this, out yet. Okay. I was afraid uh, this, I had missed something. This coming year. No, it's it's okay. on the way. So um, so that's something we have to look forward to hopefully in 2020. Oh, man. Mm. Yeah. Not, but I don't get excited about too many books coming up, but that's I know. exciting. But I, I think one of the things that's really nice about this book, I mean, to to your, to your both of your points is, is really that they're – is ultimately as as dark as the story is it's it's it doesn't have it's not absent of hope or it's not not without it and and that is a and that is a that's a even if it's just like this little glimmer that's there at the end that this isn't necessarily this situation isn't um 
you know, in um, in the daughter Maya's case, um, was it Maya? Yeah, it was Maya. Mm-hmm. Um, that this wasn't that this event wasn't what ultimately defined her. Um, even in um, I think it's it is in this one that has the the flash forward to her adulthood. Yeah, that's like the last. For, the well, very, she's twenty five. Yeah, so like so a ten so year young, time jump. Yeah, I, I'm I'm getting this one and us against you mixed yeah. up because it's the same characters, just sort of, and the stories sort of bleed into one another yes. time frame wise. So there's not like a fifteen year gap or anything like that. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like the next week. <clears throat> yeah. Oh. So. Um, it's, and, it's, and it's, through it's, the summer. It's essentially the yeah. It's the preparation for the next hockey season, and then mm-hmm. so the kind of the continued fallout and development of each of these characters yeah. in good and challenging ways. So does yeah. Amat kind of become Kevin's successor? Because I've been trying to trail that. It's it's uh, it's more complicated. The than town that. is very divided because of this, and so yes. there's a. Part of the plot line is which members of this town are going to go play for the rival town and which ones are going to stay. Okay. Yes. And so it's it's not a yeah it's not just a succession of this but a like which is which is another brilliant aspect of Bachman's storytelling is that he doesn't get to the point and he's like oh happy and he's like but the damage of this like reverberates right. The relationships mm-hmm. that were broken, the loyalties, the breakdown of this valuable, like the place that hockey held in this town. And listeners, just so you know, this is not a hockey book. It's no. not a book. It, you don't get if you don't know anything about hockey, you will miss nothing. Because right. As I the don't. Canadian who doesn't give a rip about hockey, I found it incredibly yeah. compelling. I mean, it's so. a southerner. It could have been. I mean, it could have been literally any unifying thing mm-hmm. built around a competition, whatever. Like it just hockey was the thing in that context. Yeah. And so, but you don't have to know hockey to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Or appreciate it. Um, one of the things that you will appreciate when you get to us against you. Good, good hustle. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, what you'll appreciate there is is really how Maya's brother comes into mm-hmm. into the the forefront as a more significant character because um, he's really a really almost a tertiary character in in the mm-hmm. first book um he's there but he doesn't matter to the plot at all yeah he's just kind of watching yeah mm-hmm. yeah and you see you see in the next book how all the watching that how that has really shaped yeah. him mm-hmm. one thing i liked in the book is how many times he mentioned and they will remember and she will remember and he will remember in 10 years time 10 years later uh-huh. like i circled every time he said that yeah. and it was a lot and yeah. so yeah it's just placing that emphasis on something that happens in childhood like can really affect yeah yeah the rest of your life yeah how does it sticks with you how does so how do the three of us who read this as christians read this differently than somebody who who's not viewing it through the same lens of redemption hopefulness it's it's it's, it is always a wrestling match for me to read a book like this so there is hopefulness but it's also a it's a bit of a humanistic hopefulness you know sort of strength in community which is a genuine valuable thing Mm -hmm. strength in like just recovery but again kind of there's a there's just sort of a reparative aspect to it and clearly nothing that is that is distinctly spiritual or Christian. So what how does that affect how we both appreciate as well as kind of evaluate a book like this that we all agree is 
pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it, without churchifying it, without appreciating, church- it, yeah, appreciating yeah. it for what it is, but through the perspective of like, this is what healing would really look like. This is what wholeness is really. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Flannery O'Connor talks about how people, you know, would look at her work and say how grotesque it is Mm. and you know how can you be a christian and write these things and she would highlight because i am a christian it is grotesque and needs to be grotesque so basically like she was more violent and more graphic in her writing to show how dark and sinful the world is and to make an impact because it wouldn't make an impact. I forget the illustration she used, and it was brilliant. I wish I could remember. But so when I read this book, it helps me to see how sinful the world is and mm-hmm. how um, these things really happen. And it just motivates me more to want to go share the gospel because it, it it's a need. So I don't know if I necessarily thought about, like, redemption as a whole like when, the book, re- but redemption more just is, the has become sort of a like it's like an umbrella phrase for did the book take a turn that points toward you know a biblical truth sure like mm-hmm. the redemptive aspect of it um which you know this book didn't really although it it reflected a lot of truths that echo things you see in scripture yeah yeah you know in terms of in terms of honesty and confession and humility and i mean there's all the best character traits in this book are ones that you can look at and go yeah this is this is explicitly a that's like that's like godly characteristic even mm-hmm. if the person is not you know not a professing believer like that's yeah. a reflection of that yeah or even like the community like the community of the church yeah 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 i mean i mean definitely you i think as a christian you should appreciate um and in a weird kind of way admire the fact that he doesn't um he doesn't over sensationalize the um the evil that is in the book Hmm. Um, but you should all, but, and at the same time that he doesn't underplay it, if that makes sense, it's, it seems real. (laughs) It's as close to honest as I think you can get. Yeah. There's there. Yeah. There's no, yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. There's no, there's no reveling in it. No, it's just, it's what it is. And Um, there's, and there's nothing in it that is. So, I mean, Jen mentioned earlier that like it's it's painful and uncomfortable to read, mm-hmm. but but Bachman did a service to the readers by not so he didn't shy away from what happened, but neither did he. There was nothing overly explicit or yeah. anything that's going to leave like the stain on the reader yeah. in, in an undue way. He wanted to make clear evil action with right. profound effects. But he just left it at that, right? Without being and 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 that's a delicate that's a delicate balance to be yeah. able to be not like to avoid voyeurism, yeah. Um, especially like disgusting voyeurism. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that there's any other kind of voyeurism than kind of being disgusting, but um, but you know what? It's that whole idea yeah. that difference. Well, this this would have bordered on the yeah. sadistic. 
Yeah. If, if he had, if he had, if there had been any hint of sort of reveling in it, and there was just none. I mean, no. it was so clear that he was that he was saying this, this is, is wrong. a hinge in the story on which it turns. And yeah. we're just going to leave it at that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I I do think that there is a degree to which, um, for the um the picking up the pieces elements of the book that it should make us wrestle not so much with where the gospel is missing in it. Um, I mean, because I mean, of course, you know, there's no one, there's no one there who's like, Oh, you know, you know, who can put this all back together is Jesus. Cause I mean, that would just, ru- that would actually ruin the book. Right. Um, the, um, but it should make us recognize a couple of things. One is um, is actually that, um, as image bearers of God, that we're we're there are things that we're going to get right. In that we're going to pursue these things. We are going to pursue some form of healing uh, in this. But no matter, but it's going to fall short. Yes, no matter what, but it should also make us question the fact of how how does the way that we pursue, um, you know, healing, restoration, all these kinds of things, um, how is the way that we do it different? Is it different at all? Um, because I think I think a lot of us could probably see a lot more of um, essentially a gospelless pursuit of. Um, of these things in our own lives than we might care to admit. Yeah, I think that that's interesting. The 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 test of sort of how do you resonate with the good in the book? Yeah, and if it's like a one to one resonance, it probably means that there's something missing in your own life because yeah. there's because there was such a lack of anything you know anything right. christ centered to to put this back together and like you said that shouldn't be in the book but just as a just as an, an engaging fiction as a self evaluation yeah world evaluation etc yeah it's that's that's really interesting i appreciate what you said too i mean right, maybe it was maybe it was you Jen, talk about the image bearing aspect of it oh that was you Aaron. okay um it was my good profound thought for the day that was your one yeah just the the it, it's so reflective of how the best fiction will show it will it will there will be image bearing characteristics that are explicit and there will be fallen aspects that are explicit mm-hmm. and if they're written in balance and you know mm-hmm. or with the right sorts of emphasis it's a it's, it's the ingredients are right for a good you know a good story reflective of something true mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know that there's any more for us to say on this particular subject. No, I think we make an unprofessional radio turn to something different and Absolutely. funnier. Absolutely. We're going to make a hard shift because that's what we do on this show. This is when show. you do the old, well, speaking of terrible book covers. Yes. Which um, we're not, but you know. No, I mean, that is one thing I do also appreciate about all, actually all of um, Bachman's books is the cover designs are terrific. Um, the publishers are hiring good people for that. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. <laughs> With publishers, it's true. Um, as a as a plug for our workplace and um, our dear friend Dave's team, um, there may, are may he rest in peace <laughs> wherever he is. I've replaced him. 
That's right. That's like, right. It's, it's an upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dave. You're fired. Yep. Yeah, Jen's here now. <laughs> We're changing the intro. But uh, <laughs> um, so his team is doing is actually doing a really great job of, of creating some really good book covers. However, there's a good book series that um, we've talked about on the show, the Quorum and Strike series by um, Robert Galbraith, a.k.a. J.K. Rowling, that some of her some of these books have some really great covers. And then there's one that I got at Barnes and Noble that is less great. It is the media tie-in cover for a Cinemax for or, a Cinemax or original or series. Skinemax, as I it hope has it's been not called. That. I mean, I really hope Cinemax it's not that. Cinemax is very much known for kind of a no boundaries on questionable. It's basically basic cable pornography. It uh, except that it's not basic. Like they can do. Oh, okay. Like they can go. They can go further than like where HBO goes. Oh wow, that's so, terrifying. Which is funny because the books don't include anything much, like that. if any, of that. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah. So it's the it's. I'm opposed to most books that have photographs of people's faces on them, like mm. as a cover. It's okay. just a really bad cover design. So and I can't ne- think so of any. I can't think of any exceptions. So your next book will not have you in a suit, <laughs> doing like the thinking do, man pose. Yeah, doing the thinking man no, pose. I refuse to do the Al Mohler meets John Maxwell meets I don't pick you know Tony Robbins meets any other business. Although leader. you know, I gotta say, if you Ted and Ronnie ever do a book together. I think it needs to be something like that. Need, Ironically, well, I think we need like a photo tip-in, you yeah. know, where they like, and it's all of the like the cover <laughs> options. It's just that stuff. Yeah, I uh, think like if us as you know the Carl Lentz cover or whatever. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's a that's an idea for a different day. There you go. You're welcome. But yeah. So this the media tie-in ones are always the picture of the actor and actress. Yeah, and they're always terrible looking. They make yeah. me they make me like the book less. Right, and and it was hard because I brought this. I brought so the, here's the reason why I bought this one, and not the regular one. I bought this one because it was six dollars, and not eighteen dollars. It's a valid reason. I brought it home, and the first thing my wife says is, "That is an ugly cover." And I'm like, "Would you rather I have spent eighteen dollars?" She said yes. And she was like, she paused. Women like pretty things. She 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 wrestled, and she's like, I don't know. <laughs> she gave me an ambiguous right, answer so because I bought I bought the first book yeah. in the series at McKay's for like two dollars. So I bought the second so one. I bought the I bought the third and the yeah. fourth one for. Um, I think about ten bucks combined. I like that one. This is book number three, the C- Career of Evil. It yeah. the it is very compelling. Cuckoo's Calling is the first one, right? Cuckoo's Calling is yeah. the first one. Its covers okay. Um, they they sort of the first two or three like the well the original publisher covers all have a similar sort of style in like yes there's a bit of a noir feel to a silhouetted person in mm-hmm. whatever context and then it's a like kind of a hand scripted. Yes. Scribbled title. You know, yes. so you listeners, you can kind of picture that. And then you get to the silkworm. This is the media tie in one. Yes. 
and it is a picture of a generically, ruggedly handsome five o'clock shadow gentleman in like a pea coat, looking very brooding in in one direction into the middle distance, and then a kind of a generically attractive, light-haired woman with sparkly eyes staring into the middle distance in the other direction above the title of The Silkworm, which is written looking a bit like... I mean, it looks like something... It looks like a Jack Reacher I was going to say, it looks like that, or like a movie poster. Right. And it doesn't say it's a Cormoran Strike novel. It says CB Strike. Right. CB Strike sounds like a G.I. Joe character to me. A little bit. That's... when Cormoran Strike is such a cool name. It is a cool name. I don't that's I was really dis- everything disappointed. About, everything about this is wrong. I'm it sure feels Rowling's like Rowling's paycheck is not wrong. No. But, you know, everything but, else. But you know, sucks. It, you know what it feels like? It feels like if Nicholas Sparks wrote an action book. <laughs> okay, so I'm looking on the back. <laughs> that's what that they, cover design looks like. They have cover like. thumbnails for the Cuckoo's Calling and the Career of Evil. Yeah. And uh, so the Cuckoo's Calling, that's the first one. It's the same two ruggedly slash generically attractive people. This time there's a <laughs> They have a little bit more <laughs> of the... Uh, attractive. What's that? The generically generic attractive. attractive. Yeah. yeah. Never it, heard that. Then, then, you, then you have him in sort of the, like, uh, rumpled business look where his tie is, yeah. you know, undone and the collar's kind of open. Looking over the shoulder of young lady who has the same expression as the other one, but they're both staring directly at the reader. You can see them right there if you look close. <laughs> and then uh, on the career of evil, she is staring broodingly at the reader and he is staring very pensively off the side. In fact, it looks, it appears that he is kind of biting his lip. So he looks nervous. And all of or them, hungry. and then all of them have the, uh, some sort of like foggy, looks a little bit like 1930s ish, think like Peaky Blinders kind of like yeah. gritty uh, panorama of a scene in London as like a behind the author's name. This just this is that's awful. It's terrible. I'm offended. It, it hurts this book. It yeah. hurts my eyes. See, here I immediately I I was tempted to just go and take it back and spend the other $12. I didn't do it though. Maybe I should. The other thing is that's a really bad depiction of how Cormoran Strike is described in well, those novels. Well, because it doesn't look like him. Right, exactly. Like, she gives a pretty good description of what this guy looks like. Yes. He's like 6'5 and 350 pounds with a... Mm. Does he have a peg leg? 350 he's pounds? A, he's, got a, he's got a prosthetic leg. Um, yeah, he's a like, big dude. They, she, she I mean, talks, this guy's like 200. Yeah, this, yeah. I mean, if this guy is 6'5, <laughs> this, guy this guy's 6'5, he's, he's maybe 240. He's a good he's, 100 pounds less than... He's that. generically fit. Cormoran Strike. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't suffer too much from like dad bod, but neither is he, you know, neither, neither is he like ripped. But he's not, but he's not, uh, he's not. The other thing, Cormoran Strike is described as perpetually himself. disheveled and has like a mass of really curly hair. Right. That's just sort of wild. Yes. This guy looks like, uh, who, let's see, what actor does he look like? He looks like a, um, Thoughts? a rent a cop version of Carl Urban. With a beard. Yes, he looks okay. So you know how there's Mark Wahlberg yeah. and then there's the other Wahlbergs. This would be like there's Ben Affleck and then there's the other Afflecks. This is the other Affleck. <laughs> this not, is, not this Casey. Is, this isn't Casey. Casey has a distinctive yeah. look. This is like the the third brother who we don't know anything about. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like there's Eli Manning and there's Peyton Manning and then mm-hmm. there's Cooper Manning. Yeah. Who nobody knows. This is right. the Cooper Manning of the Afflecks. There's the third the third Hemsworth brother as well. There is. There is. Yep. 
Well, see that. that see him, boy, he must be. Man, poor guy. And his, he showed his, up. his brothers are <laughs> are both like the the quintessential attractive men of the universe yeah. right now. So they're um he is he actually played Thor in the um he wait for it I'm just, in I'm Thor shocked. Ragnarok. Okay, in the um the scene with um uh the where uh Loki as Odin is watching a play of uh-huh. Loki's death. Oh, like the where the, the goofy where, Thor, where Matt Damon is playing Loki in the yeah. play. The guy playing Thor is the third Hemsworth brother. That that was a deep cut trivia that I didn't. Did you know anything about I don't this? Know Hemsworth. Have you watched Who's Hemsworth? Thor, Thor. Chris oh, Hemsworth, okay. and then there's well, Liam Hemsworth. Hemsworth, who's. Well, I didn't know there were two, let alone three. Yeah, Liam Hemsworth was. He's in famous. Hung- he was in Hunger Games and famous for marrying Miley's having been married to. Oh, are they not married anymore? Miley Cyrus. I'm yeah. old. I can't keep up oh. with these things. That's fine. So, yeah, their pop culture is my sports. They're both sort <laughs> so. of like your. Like if <laughs> you don't like sports. I I don't have a sport. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Or a sports for That's that matter. That's crazy. Mm. But yeah, this so so. CB Stripe, GI Joe character, is yes. the third generic Affleck brother. I, I'm still going. I'm still going <laughs> guy. for low rent stand-in for Carl Urban. Or <laughs> who's Carl Urban? He. Um, do you know who Carl Urban is? Okay. Pop culture. You, not, you, do, you don't do pop culture. See, this okay. is this again. This is this is how deep cut that is. So he was the actor who. Um, Played Doctor McCoy in the reboot Star Trek movies in two thousand nine and four. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was also in. Um, he's also one of the lead character, lead actors in the show The Boys on Amazon, which is really yeah. profane. Um, is that the one about like superheroes who are also not good dudes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that looked really funny. Actually. Yeah. Um, it's very cynical. Very cynical. So you that's, might like it. That's right. That's <laughs> I thought it looked funny. I was like, ooh. Uh, he played Judge Dredd as well. Okay. Um, he's been in a he's been in a few other things, but he's that kind of like. Did you refer to this guy as the low rent version of that? <laughs> yes. I like that phrase. Yes. It's not the poor man's version. It's the low rent version. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. Good. So. Um, he's the he's the target model version. <laughs> <laughs> he models for Coles. That's right. Um, that's right. Yeah, this is uh, listeners. If we've made you feel a sort of squeamish displeasure for this cover, then mission, you've done mission, your job. mission accomplished. <laughs> we did it, everybody. That said, the books are really fun. That's so true. This is one where you have to judge. The book on its own two feet and ignore the cover. That's right. Also, Aaron should have bought the other one for $18. You're right. I should have. I should have spent the extra money. And I did. Jen, do you have any books that stand out that you've run across that like they've done media tie-in covers or something and you and it just it it ruins what was like a literary classic? You're like, they did what to that cover? It hurts your soul. Um with the Catch-22 cover. Okay. The, oh. The... Considering that it is very possibly pretty lame. Let's find out. I the only one this I have in radio. Right, We're all googling I, right now. That's right. Nothing. Nothing says good audio like us staring at our phones. Um, <laughs> in describing book covers. You know what? I have an entire other podcast where we just describe things that, <laughs> and then make fun of them. So that's true. It's, it works. Kent twenty two book cover. The only one I have in my mind is the is the more like classic one that has it's it's just very plain text driven 
like a little bit geometric. That one is the one that was in my mind. That's not the one you're thinking of, right? No, it is. Yeah. You. This is the one you don't like. Yeah. Okay. I've never read Catch Twenty Two, so I don't have any strong feelings about it. Is it a good book? I haven't read it either. Okay. It's on my list. <laughs> okay, because there's there is a movie Catch Twenty Two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought and you so... meant like a tr- like an, an absolute like media tie-in one. Right. Oh, is that what I'm supposed to be doing? So, so this one, so this one is <laughs> the one just, you didn't like. Yeah, because okay. it's just lame. <laughs> oh, wow, I mean, it's got a sequel that is. It's it's got a sequel. Catch twenty three. Nope. Closing time. Oh, okay. So, so there's that. Um, uh, okay, so here's a good example of one that just is is a terrible, terrible. Well, first of all, the movie stunk, but The Great Gatsby. Yeah. Yes. So the original one, which is the the classic book cover, is like a blue background with these bright lights sort of city thing down in the bottom. And then a woman's eyes and red lipstick sort of staring out of the screen. And then, then there's the movie one, which is just this gaudy art deco Leo staring at you. It's just the everything about it is, is a downgrade. That's a that's a oof yuck true true but you know what we can be thankful for at least i haven't seen one maybe one exists and if it is then we can feel really upset i've not seen a crappy photo based media tie-in edition of harry potter have you and i love those book covers i think they exist you think they exist I think so. But I might be getting it mixed up with Lord of the Rings because those definitely exist. Yeah, there's a lot of those ones. There's media tie-in ones for um, some. Oh, then there's – so there's there's other ones like The Giver or Lois Lowry's books. Yes. Because the books were so – did you ever read The Giver? I think I have, but it was a long – yeah, I mean it's it's Maybe a it's, the book is decades old, but it was it was sort of a like young readers like kind of an original YA fiction, like sort of that reader level. Um, but the original covers were just really – they had sort of a classic, tasteful, artistic feel. And then you get to the the movie poster version and it just – it they rip all of like the, the richness of the literary feel out of them. Mm-hmm. Media tie-ins all, covers always feel soulless to me. Do the Hunger mm-hmm. Games, do they have – there, I think there is a media tie-in. I'm sure there version. are, and their original covers were fairly cool. Yeah, like they they fit the genre really well. The Divergent series has that, although yep. those were mediocre books and worse movies. So it was kind of a like, meh. Yeah, well, you're not losing much. They felt like a they felt like a book written for movie anyway. Well, because they probably oh, here's were. The yeah. Now, did you know that there's, oh, there's a, an article, 15 movie tie-in book covers that make us sad on, on Flavor Wire. I, I like it already. Like, so um, it's, but um, speaking of the Hunger Games. Um, the Great Gatsby is number one on their list. Of course it is. <laughs> it should be. You know that there's a, a prequel coming out? To the Great Gatsby? No, to the Hunger Games. <laughs> oh. <laughs> to the Hunger like, Games. like, Scott Fitzgerald He's is dead. dead. <laughs> no. <laughs> Suzanne Collins went back to the well and... Uh, has Suzanne Collins wanted to buy another house? Yeah, the Ballad of Songs and Songbirds and Snakes um, comes out in May. Eh. So we'll see. We'll see. Someone wanted to make another movie. I've never even heard of some of these. Like the last three they listed. So the first two are ones we'd already mentioned: The Hobbit and um, 
Great Gatsby. Then there's The Wizard of Earthsea. What? Yep. <laughs> Solaris. Oh, okay, yeah. Dead Until Dark. I don't know what that is. Cloud Atlas. Yeah. Oh, The Road. Oh, The Road is high on the list of media tie-in covers ruining the book. Yes. Because the original one was just black yeah. with white text, which is exactly the feel of that book. Yeah. It is the most stark, bleak book I have ever read <laughs> in a fantastic fashion. Have you, Jen, have you read any Cormac Mm-mm. McCarthy? Okay. It's I, pretty grim. It's it's the grimmest. But the not grimmest. grimmest. Not Grimace, not yeah, not like a Burger King commercial, but I think that was Burger King, right? Or, uh, McDonald's, whatever. They're all the same. Um, it's offensive. But yes, they're fantastic. Uh, the Time Machine. The Time Machine didn't have a classic cover in the first place because the book's 150 years old. That's true. Never Let Me Go. I recognize the author's name. My phone is not working. Wuthering Heights. Another one. So, Wuthering Heights, Pride and Prejudice, those, I think, file into the same category, which is they're classic books, but they don't have classic covers. Yeah. Because they've been around for a long, long time. Yeah. But apparently the media tie-in ones are bad. Yeah. The media – I can confirm that the the Time Machine uh, cover is terrible. Game of Thrones, George R. R. Martin. See, I would disagree on that one because the, – well, the original covers were good and they had a very fantasy fiction feel to them. But that – that series was made famous by the TV show. That's it true. It was a very niche market yeah. prior or niche if you're if you're pretentious um, or Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Enough of that. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm done complaining. I've Are got you? That on, no. Really? All right. That just for means now. it's time for this episode for to be now. all done. If you're done complaining, <laughs> what well, means we have nothing else to talk about? That's right. That's right. Well, but you know what we do have to talk about. CB strike. Well, we have to talk about we have to talk about three things before we go. Okay, three things. What are we reading? First, <laughs> well, first we've got to talk about who we're sucker punching this week. Um, All right, and I, I've got one. Yeah, go for it. Unless Jen's got another one. Do you have another? No, not right now. Okay, okay. you go, and then I might have a bonus one. <laughs> I'm going to answer two questions at once. Okay. Both what am I or have I been reading and somebody yeah. from said book that needs to be sucker punched. Okay. So the book is Where the Crawdads Sing by Dee Lee Owens. I just finished it yesterday yeah. at the time of this recording. And uh, first of all, it was an amazing book. Yeah. I was completely caught off guard because it's like an Oprah's book club kind of recommendation. Mm-hmm. Which I think it's part mean, of Reese's book club now. That, whatever. Yeah. Somebody, somebody famous is generic ish book club someone you generically <laughs> famous is generic book no, club the book club is, is it generic. also a generically attractive person i know i said famous they're they're legit they're legitimately famous oh but the not book, christian the famous book club is generic because it's just like it's all usually those books all kind of fall into a general feel of like yeah self-helpy you know <laughs> humanistic nonsense, nonsense. um but <laughs> this book was a genuine work of literary art it was really well written compelling every page of the way through really interesting plot but the characters are what like the writing of the characters but then it was also one of my favorite kinds of books because the one of the main characters was the place so Mm. it was written in the marshes of Mm. coastal carolina or it was set there but the the place was like a character not a not just sort of a set in this town kind of thing yeah which i which i love because that always adds so much atmosphere to the book so that's what I have been reading. Highly recommended. It's fantastic. Uh, 
the character in it, there's a character named Chase okay. in it who is... Just having the name Chase makes me want to... <laughs> I have a couple friends named Chase, so i got to be careful with that one. Uh, <laughs> I don't. Who are, who are not worthy of being punched in the kay. face. They're they're good people. Um, I'm, I'm glad for you. But he... Uh, to the earlier conversation about, about Beartown and, uh, you know, the assault in that, a similar thing happens in this at a mm. point in the book. And he's just, he's just a uh, egotistical manipulates the main female character because she's she's very lonely and he takes advantage of it and right. then, and he's just he gets his comeuppance which is a great word I love comeuppance it's but, a good name but <laughs> good uh, so I no longer have the opportunity to punch him in the face because he's dead it's not don't worry the <laughs> book starts with him being dead okay. oh okay. like it's that's not a like yeah. you, then the solving of how he gets dead is the uh, is a lot of the book but Got it. Chase whose last name I can't remember deserves to be punched in the face but he died before instead. he's dead okay <laughs> and then he then he deserved to die all right <laughs> all right that's good that's a good sucker punch he uh, he clearly needed that you yeah. had a lot of feelings about that I did he was he was a very unlikable character yeah. which also speaks to Delia Owen's writing because if you can hate you can a make a reader that much. hate a character that much for like 250, 300 pages. Right. Every time he comes in, you're like, oh, this, this is just slimy, the worst character. It's just a scumbag. Yeah. So. Not a generic scumbag. Like, he's a... Very specific scumbag. Yeah. Just yeah. A, like a, a very crisp depiction of yeah. scumbaggery. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There what you go. You, what are you reading, Jen? Well, hold on. Hold on. I got, oh, I got, a, I got, a, I got a bonus. I got a bonus sucker punch. Oh, okay. I thought we were only doing one. No, okay. no, no. We're doing two this time. <laughs> All right. Because I really feel like the the designer and the person who commissioned this cover. Yeah, that's the person who needs to be. The yeah. designer did exactly what they were asked because this is not yes. a work of art. No. This is a work of do this exact thing. Yes. And so they, they just did it. Yes. So the person who commissioned that cover needs to get <laughs> punched with this through this book so Be- that it doesn't leave a mark beaten with the spine of that book yeah that's yeah. right that's right never do this again um so that is that's our <laughs> bonus one now right. we, now let's get back to that other question of right. what we're reading <laughs> Well, the last 24 hours I've been reading Bear Town. So. <laughs> For all of them, all of the That's 24 right. hours. That's right. So yeah. Bear Town and you were saying and you were reading David, David Copperfield. David Copperfield for the first time. Nice. Really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Is this your first first time reading Dickens or is it first just First time in about 15 years, I guess. Oh wow. So There you go. Might as well. Yeah. That's great. You're enjoying mm-hmm. it. I am, yeah. Excellent. Dickens is one of those authors who it's a shame that they assign to, you know, 14, 15, 16-year-olds because it's just yeah. it's just wasted. Yeah. So I was under the impression I didn't like Dickens until like five years ago. When yeah, I re- I'm really I, surprised I read, that I like um, David Copperfield. Is it Christmas Carol? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I always get Christmas titles mixed up. And I was like, this is brilliant. Mm-hmm. He's – of course he's brilliant. He's been around for – you know, his books have been classics for forever. Right. And so – I was ashamed of myself for not knowing that earlier. That's okay. Well, even yesterday we were talking with some writing friends and they were saying how, you know, a lot of author, authors go on and on with description. But if Dickens does it, it, some reason we like it. Like he talks about plum pudding for 30 pages and yeah. we like it mm-hmm. and it works and we don't know why. Yeah, there are a few authors who can get away with that. Not very many. Mm-hmm. I could not get away with that. Yeah. 
I think most of the authors who can get away with that are the ones who are dead and whose books Mm -hmm. are considered classics already. (laughs) Yep. And everybody else just imitates him. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's that's a good point. That's a good point. He's probably also someone who deserves a sucker punch, though. Who? Dickens? Dickens. What? He's just, he was a terrible human being. Oh, well, yeah. they all are. I had just finished a book about writers. It basically was a encyclopedia of all the classic writers. And yeah. Every single person had an affair or turned homosexual or... Yep. <laughs> Had illegitimate children. Yep. So, they're all writers are terrible people. <laughs> that's true. That's true. There's something about that's, it. That's that's a topic not. for a future podcast. That is, is absolutely are yeah. all writers which, terrible. People. Which books need to be banned because the authors were so terrible? <laughs> but that's not a conversation for right now. No. Aaron, what are you reading? No, I am. Uh, well, I'm reading the Silkworm. Uh, despite the terrible cover, um, <laughs> do you, did you ever have to in like elementary school or high school cover the books? Like they would hand out textbooks and like you had to you had to cover no. it. So we had to use like brown paper. Oh, we you, had to use. Like, I've seen that, but I've or never done it. I don't know what it was. Okay, or you, tape. You, you, yeah, you can also yeah. buy book covers, but like. There was even a way like you you lay out the gross the paper grocery bag and you cut it in this way to make a book cover. And, like, you need to do like that present. for the silkworm because it would look better if it looked like a brown paper bag. It mm. absolutely would. It absolutely would. So so I'm reading this. It's the book itself is great. The cover hurts my soul, and um, <laughs> I'm working through that. Do they call him CB Strike in the book? No, they okay. did not change anything Thank in goodness. the text. That would have. I would have thrown it in the garbage and then bought the $18 version. I mean, you could have returned it for a refund. but No, 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 no. No, because then it would mean someone else would buy it. <laughs> you're, put, you're saving the world one bad book at a time. That's right. I'm not saving my bank bad account. Book but cover. Um, <laughs> So I've got that. And then um, I am also, as an audio book, I have started, I don't want to mess up the title, the Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. Ooh, it's a good one. Yes. Eric Larson has written a few really good ones. Mm-hmm. That one is really good. He wrote one about the sinking of the Lusitania. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple. He had a couple others that I wasn't as crazy about, but the, yeah. the Devil in the White City is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's definitely worth worth the time already, and I'm like 30 minutes into it. Yeah. So um, I have 14 hours to go. And it'll be fine. Do you? How so, do you listen? Do you listen to one and a quarter speed, one and a half speed, one just and a half. normal speed? Okay. With all books, generally. Okay. Um, one and a half makes a, me feel a little anxious. Occasionally, I have to do occasionally I'll push to one and three quarters. But, but if I go any more than that, I don't. It's like it's just going too fast for me. <laughs> You said you just do single, like yeah. My speed. husband listens to all his videos, whatever. At I think one and a half, and oh my I can't stand it. I have to go in the other room. Well, see, I like you get like heart palpitations from one and a half or <laughs> well, faster. See, but see, here's the thing: with one and a half speed, it's it's basically normal conversation speed as opposed to not in the south. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a that is a fair assessment. Yeah. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> compared to other audio compared to audio like for audiobook narration it tends to be a little slow so i i need to go no less See, than one i don't and a want a book to be like a conversation that's why i listen to podcasts podcasts are conversations <laughs> at conversation speed sure books have to have 
pacing to them, which is why the reader matters. Like right. a, a good reader is not just motoring through the book. There's dramatic pauses and there's pacing and there's voices and there's whatever else. And you lose that when you speed it up. Well, but here's the I thing. I realize we're trying to sign this thing off, but also you're wrong. <laughs> well, so. But here's the thing. I'm not wrong on, at least on the ones that I've been listening to, I don't miss any of that. I mean, your opinion on this is wrong. Like no. this is what, yeah, this is not a matter of opinion. This is no. a matter of Aaron is abusing technology you're and right. books. <laughs> You might need to be the sucker punch of the week for abusing books. Maybe you need to be the sucker punch of the week. What do you think about that? I think we're very juvenile oh, right now. All right. I know you are, but what am I? Let's leave. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. So uh, our last question before we sign off today is um, one that we've never done before on the show. Oh. But it's something that we threw out in an episode that hasn't aired yet um, at the time of this recording. I don't remember um, what this was. I'm not well, at all prepared. Well, we are asking our listeners to give it, to help us give a shout out to the independent and used bookstores in there that they love. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And so I asked I asked you ahead of time if uh, if you had one that you could give a shout out to. We have one in Jackson called Lemuria. Mm-hmm. What is it? Lemuria. 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 How do you spell that? L-E-M-U-R-I-A. Got it. Nice. Lemuria. Okay. And that's (laughs) in Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah. Very cool. It's so cute. It's in a little... Is it a used bookstore or just an independent bookstore? Both? It's an independent Okay. Nice. I think. I'm not sure. I mean, I know they're independent. Right. I don't know if they have used. Got it. But it's in like this cute little building in Jackson and there's like a spa in there and a bakery. Oh, wow. And the bookstore is on the top floor so they, it's really homey okay do they specialize like is it is it local authors southern authors or is it just kind of just whatever everything. books they like they just carry what they like they have a lot of southern authors i know okay so. hmm. i kind of like i i like it when independent bookstores have a regional feel to them i think that's pretty cool i do i do like a curated approach yeah just in kind of have their specialty i think yeah. there's one in franklin like that there there is and it's a it's more of a vintage books. Um, it has a little bit of new stuff too, but yeah. yeah, it's like vintage. But then I think they have like Southern author and Civil yeah. War oriented stuff. I haven't yeah, been there, do. but I've it's, heard it's pretty it's cool. It's a really cool little store. Dave and was swooning over it on of previous conversations. So yeah, <laughs> so it has Civil War stuff, um, which really is just code for American Girl books, but um. <laughs> <laughs> or Shelby Foot. Yep. Who's the other guy? There's a John, uh, John somebody who wrote a whole bunch of Civil War like romance novels. Oh, I have no idea. Well, like called Savannah. I'm just gonna assume it's Nora Roberts. So it's <laughs> <laughs> Nora Roberts' cousin or something. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right, is this a good place for us to wrap up this one? <laughs> yeah, it was probably 15 minutes ago. There we go. All right. Well, in uh, in true Malcontents fashion, we uh, we don't know when to quit. So. Uh, <laughs> So, Barnabas, thanks for hanging out. Jen, thank you for joining us for this. This was a lot of thanks fun. Thanks for having me. Of course. Of course. Let us know when you're in town next. You can you can replace Dave anytime. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Uh, so, listeners, thanks for uh, hanging out with us today. Uh, do leave your five-star rating in review. We don't care how sincere it is. His name is John Jakes. John that's Jakes. The, that's the Civil War romance novel right. guy. There we go. Don't read John Jakes. Dave, Dave Schrader's second favorite author. <laughs> that's right. Uh, actually, do don't read it yourself, but do send him. <laughs> a copy of a John Jake's book at one Lifeway Plaza, Nashville, Tennessee, uh, three seven two three four. If you love Dave, with a cat mug. <laughs>
cat poster, cat mug, cat pencil, cat coaster, cat sticker for his guitar case, like whatever. Just all of it. All of yeah. it. That's where you can send gifts to Dave that are cat related. Um, or John Jake's related. So we'll uh, talk to you later. Also get some Ligaris Roasters coffee. Bye. This is an Area Code Podcast.